So we'll get right into the Bible. I need you to take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5, please. I'm going to talk to you about what keeps us going. Are you guys ready in the back? What keeps us going? What, why do Christians go the extra mile? Now, Matthew chapter 5. Why don't we quit is the question. Matthew chapter 5. In verse 38, Matthew 5 and verse 38. <clears throat> You've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's justice. That's equal justice. Um, people talk that about as an abuse. No, it means that the punishment must fit the crime. You don't overpunish and you don't underpunish. Jesus is saying, once you look beyond that and learn the principle here, Jesus said, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, meaning that evil towards you. But whosoever smiteth thee on thy right hand, go ahead and do what? Turn him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, wow, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, why don't you go with him twain? Why don't you go the extra mile? Now, why? Why do that? Well, Jesus taught us to keep going. Jesus, Jesus taught us to go beyond where we say stop. Jesus had his disciples. He said, guys, you need to There in the Bible, it says these words, and I remember a very powerful message. I can still remember several in my Christian life. One of them preached by uh, a man of God when I was in Bible college. And he just used a few words out of Matthew chapter 27 where it says, and he went a little further, speaking of Jesus, who he asked his disciples to pray with him, and they fell asleep. So instead of him giving up because his disciples quit on him, he said, well, I better get back to praying. And he went back to praying. And he went a little further. He came back to them, woke them up, and says, you're going to pray? And they said, sure, Lord. And they went back to sleep. And he said, and he went back to prayer. Jesus taught us to keep going. Even when everybody else has fallen out. Jesus taught us to keep going when he was rejected, when he was abandoned, when he was crucified. And he was turned away from by his own disciples. He kept going on the cross. When people spit at him, he kept carrying the cross. When it looked like he shouldn't even be walking, he was so uh, uh, destroyed physically. And, and one of the centurions had compassion on him and says, Hey, you, and he called for, for uh, uh, Simeon. And he says to another guy named Cyrenian to go and carry his cross for him. Jesus didn't say, all right, you go on. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap. No, he kept going up to the top of that Mount Calvary hill. He kept going. Jesus teaches us to keep going. But we need something to keep us going. <clears throat> when we have a day like yesterday, and honestly, yesterday was a day of infamy. Day was, yesterday was a, a day for demons to dance and rejoice. How any woman could stand up and shout and praise and rejoice in the murder of children is beyond me. It's a dark day. We can't even we can't even get people to agree when life where life is. They can't even agree that that's a living being inside of a womb that was supposed to be protected, but instead it's dismembered. 
So, you know, those of us who really believe in fighting for important issues, when something like, like yesterday happens, we're gutted. We just wonder, why keep going? Well, we need something to keep us going. We, because it's not just the battles that are in the voting booth. And I have to tell you this, I'm glad we can fight in the voting booth because there are plenty of countries where you have to fight the streets, where people are massacred by despot armies and kings and, and uh, tyrants. But there's other battles to fight, like the battle to stay in your marriage. We need something to keep us going so that we keep teaching our children what is right instead of letting uh, everything be taught by the state and by the schools and by the TV of all stupid things. Why a parent doesn't spend time with their children and saying, that is wrong. This is right. It is right to do this. That is not right. Why we think that our, our children will be raised for God by the TV. We're more stupid than a rock. Amen. We need, to, we, need, we need to be encouraged to keep going, to keep teaching our children, and not leaving it. Hey, don't leave it to the Sunday school to teach your children about God. They're trying to help you teach your children, amen? But they can't do your job, amen? Don't leave it to John to teach your teenagers. We need something to keep us going so that we stay on the narrow and the straight path when it gets next to impossible. Because <clears throat> right now, it is easy. It's not going to stay that way. If you didn't see, I mean, the, the sign saying the North is next, they want to bring down uh, all, any kind of semblance of Christianity. They just want to knock down every wall, every, every protection. And that just doesn't soft with the lives of the unborn. Folks, if you're going to stay straight, if you're going to stay on the narrow path, when the persecution starts getting hot, you're going to need something that encourages you to keep going. <clears throat> Go to John chapter 6. You're in Matthew. Go to John chapter 6. You and I need something to keep us going when it seems more and more that we're out of step with the rest of the world. And by the way, let me tell you, we are. <laughs> John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 66, from, this, from that time, many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto his twelve, we also go away? I like Peter. <clears throat> then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast, and he said it, I, there's no better words, thou hast the words of eternal life. You've got something to say, and I just want to hang around and listen to you. People are saying, well, I want, I want money. I want uh, uh, compassion. I want politics. I want power. You know what? I want the words of eternal life because it fixes people like nothing else will. You need, not, you need something that will keep us going so we just keep following Jesus when even other disciples of Jesus are pulling back. There's a third thought here. Why do we keep going? It's because our enemy, the devil, is set on hindering, slowing, halting, and collapsing us and our efforts to follow the Lord Jesus. Go to 1 Thessalonians, all the way to the right, almost to Hebrews. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 18. <clears throat> now, in verse 17, Paul is saying, I want to get back to you Christians at Thessalonica. 
And he says, verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, we endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. That's what he does. Sometimes against those obstacles, against that spiritual pressure, we're talking about this whole month on battling uh, opposition. And when the devil just trips you up, I don't know, if you're walking across a carpet and there's somebody there you don't normally see and he's pulling a rug out from under you and dropping you onto your knees, you'll quit walking usually. <laughs> well, don't quit. Crawl if you have to. But too many Christians are quitting because the devil is good at hindering. Now, by way of background, I need you to go to Nehemiah where we're going to be spending our time. By the way, this is message number four of the four that I worked on for today. I, after yesterday, I started looking at all kinds of things. I said, Lord, your people need to be encouraged. And I kept looking at things, and I kept coming back to this one message, and I said, all right, Lord, I'll finish what I started. So stay with me in Nehemiah chapter 6. I believe it's what we need this morning. Let me give you by way of background. Nehemiah chapter 6, it's about 440 years before the birth of Christ. Only a small group of people were busy rebuilding the walls of ancient Jerusalem. They had been destroyed by an emperor or a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and they were in ruin. Every stone had been knocked over. It was a city of rubbish, of piles of dust and ruin. And Nehemiah came back to that city, rallied those people and says, let's rebuild. God will help us. And they started to rebuild those city walls. Now, they were not welcome there. In chapter 4, actually starting in chapter 2, you find out there's these guys named Sanballat and Tobiah and Arabians and Ashdodites and, and all of these mafia-style groups that were, um, that were against the city being rebuilt. They had... They had the, the Jews had moved back in the neighborhood, and they were not welcome. And they, they were ending up scared. They were being surrounded by a, a gathering army of Samaritans. And these, these, this army discouraged and distracted the people. And according to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, it says they were losing heart. They were, their, their, their resolve was decayed, was the word Nehemiah used. So what's Nehemiah going to do? He has to do something. He's got to keep them motivated. He can't just start to build and then quit. This city is too important. This is God's city. This is their land. This is their identity. They're supposed to have a city called Jerusalem that's still standing. It is, it is the eternal city. By the way, it does belong to the Jews. Those of you who watch the news, it belongs to Israel. So they're out there trying to rebuild this city, and the devil's discouraged. And haven't you ever tried to do something right, and the devil just comes at you and just knocks you for six, as they say. Just gets you to quit is his goal. So Nehemiah had to do something, and he armed them. And I like this. Look there and uh, go back to chapter 4 just for fun. Chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore said I in the lower places, 413, behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after the families with their swords and their spears and their bows. So first of all, they had the trowels and the shovels and the wheelbarrows. He says, get you a sword and spears and their bows. Verse 14, and I looked and I rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to all the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, which is an older word for terrifying. 
and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. Stand and fight, don't quit. Look on verse uh, 17. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand... For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so built it, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So he says, guys, don't let them scare you. Get you a weapon that will scare them. And you know, Christians, we don't, we don't have guns and tanks and armies. You know what we have? We have the Word of God. We have the presence of the Spirit of God. We have weapons that can pull down strongholds first in us and then in our world. And they come down by prayer. They come down just by your presence. When the rest of the world is, 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 is going their own way and you stay standing and going God's way, it, all you need is a few. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, everybody bowed to the rock music of the day that worshipped the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And there were three men, young men, who stood up and said, we will not bow. And it rattled that nation. Three. We don't need a lot. We just need some people who say, I'll fight differently. I'll fight by standing. I'll fight by witnessing and by testifying that he's my Savior. I love him. I will die for Jesus. He died for me. How can I do any less for him? So, Nehemiah armed them. Now, just like Jesus has armed us with the truth, you have no idea just how powerful the Word of God is till you take it into work and you set it on the desk next to you and people will think a bomb just went off. When you hand a gospel tract, people flee. <laughs> it, you have a weapon, folks. And Nehemiah armed them and the Lord Jesus gave us weapons, spiritual weapons. They're described in Ephesians chapter 6. Talks about a shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now I'll say this again, folks. Spiritual warfare is real for the believer. Spiritual warfare, and believe me, if the devil can distract us today, he will. So just, just ignore everything else going on. You got to go to the bathroom, ignore it. No, not really. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God. We have... Ephesians telling us that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in government places. Amen. That's what it says in high places. Amen. Spiritual warfare is real. Nehemiah is not just a history lesson for us to go through and go, oh, how nice. Oh, they're rebuilding this city. Oh, it's just really unique. No, no. It's more than a history lesson. It is a description of the kind of battles all believers face. I don't know if you realize it, but all night long, Satan tried to kill you. And the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and defend you. And you're not dead today because God kept you alive. Amen. All day long, you're going through life and stuff going through your head. Fears going through your heart. They are the daggers. They are the fiery darts of the devil that mean to bring you down and to discourage you and defeat you and to get you to quit and to get you to shut up. And the only reason why you have any sanity today is because somebody prayed for you. Because you started your day right and you got into the Word of God and you armed yourself somehow, some way with spiritual weapons. Amen. 
So when you come to Nehemiah and you see that army gathered around there in the fear, in the eyes and the hearts of God's people in that day, realize that it's true today. And Nehemiah gives us instructions on how to face our enemy down instead of being defeated ourselves. This war is for real. Uh, if, if, if you don't battle with sin, you're either not breathing <laughs> or you're not saved. Nod your head. If you're not battling with temptation, with, with the desire to quit, if you're not battling with, with the struggle of why, why should I even try? If you don't struggle, then I don't know where you live because it's real. And the consequences are eternal. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the devil cometh not but for to steal, steal and to kill and to destroy. I like the last half of the verse. I am come that you might have life, Jesus said, and that more abundant. <clears throat> so what are Christians like today? <laughs> that. We're discouraged. Just, you know, we're not, we're not winning many battles, are we? We're watching the world take away our children and our grandchildren and turning them into monsters. Amen. You've been to the shop lately? You watched what Hollywood has done to your children lately? And you wonder, you say, well, I taught them, right? I spent, I prayed with them, and now the filth is coming out of my son's mouth. The things that my daughter's listening to. Yeah, yeah. Aren't you greed? It just discourages us. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You know what that means? You put your kids to the world and everything you taught them is going to be ruined. Discouraged. So how do we keep going? I mean, you're tired, man. Well, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's read these first 16 verses. Let's see if we can learn something this morning. And then we'll pray. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Now it came to pass when Senballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, no gap, though all that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates yet, that Senballat and Geshem sent unto me saying, Come, oh, note the tone change here. Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. No, I wonder why it's called Ono. Like, oh no, don't go there. But anyway, they have called a town or a village area called Ono. But they sought to do me mischief. There was a plan afoot. There was a trap. And I sent messengers unto them saying, Hey, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet... They sent it to me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. Then said Sanballat, sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported on CNN among all the heathen, and Gashmu, he saith it too, that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest a wall, and that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There's a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported, I'm going to go tell the king according to those words. Come now, therefore, and uh, we'll negotiate. Let us take counsel together. Then I send it to him, saying, There is, are no such things done as thou sayest, 
but thou feignest. You fake them out of thine own heart. For they all made us, what's he, what does he say? He, he scared us. Saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it, will, that it be not done. We'll get them to quit. Look at what Nehemiah does. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. What he wants me to, to weaken, I pray you strengthen. Verse 10. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Methatabael. I'm glad they stopped there. Who was shut up, which means he was, he was hiding. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Oh, deep within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, hmm, such as a man as I flee, and who is there, being as I am, would go unto the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sinbalat, had hired him, had paid him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, he prays again, think thou upon Tobiah and Sinbalad according to their works and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elu. In fifty and two days, and it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Wasn't that a good story? Doesn't that just get your heart going? Lord, there's stuff in here we could spend a month of Sundays. Well, let's just see what we can see this morning as we bow in prayer. Father, Encourage your people. Lord, help us not take anything that happens in politics, in health, in finances, in anything. Let us not take it so seriously that we let it discourage us from keeping our eyes on Jesus, from finishing our course, from staying faithful. Lord, you stayed faithful. If anybody should have been discouraged, it should have been you. Nobody understood you. You wept at the tomb of Lazarus, not because Lazarus was dead, but because nobody believed you could raise him from the dead. You wept over Jerusalem because the people there were all busy running around, family and excitement about the feast, but no awareness that you were there. They were a sheep without a shepherd. They had no real leadership, like Ireland. Being made into puppets, the Irish are being told what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong by the EU and by a world that's gone to hell. Lord, it breaks your heart. <clears throat> it does mine too. Lord, you didn't get discouraged. You promise in the, in the book of Isaiah that you would not be discouraged until everything was finished. And when you died on that cross, you cried out in victory, it is finished. So Lord, I pray as we look at these, this passage and we take some truths out of it, God, you'd thrill our heart that, you know what, some things, some things are just fine. 
Our salvation is secure. Our home in heaven is still there. Our God is still alive. And our, the plan and <clears throat> the will of God is still good. I pray we stay to it. Lord, salvation door is still open. Jesus still invites any and all to come unto him and be saved. I pray somebody does today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right. Look at those first three word, three verses. I want you to see the first thing that encouraged Nehemiah and those people. Verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and all the rest of their enemies heard that I builded the wall. Again, Nehemiah is writing in his journal. He's describing how it felt and what it was like day in and day out. And he says, When they came to me and they heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, they're starting to panic. Verse 2, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages. Let's go out of Jerusalem, go to this village in Ono. But I knew right away they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers back unto them, saying, I am doing a, next two words, great work. I didn't hear anybody. I am doing a great work. I like that. So that I cannot come down. Amen. He says, I can't quit what I'm doing because what I'm doing is great. How do you see church? How do you see spending time in the Word of God? How do you see your time when you get on your face on the side of your bed and you begin to raise your hand in absolute surrender and you cry out to God and you say, God, I need you today. You know what that is? That's a victory. That is a great thing to do. You think it's great when your team wins. You think it's great when the economy swings up. You think it's great when people want to buy your house and you want to get a new car and you can afford it. Let me tell you, there's nothing greater than the work that we're involved in, though it costs us everything. Amen. <clears throat> the greatness of our work keeps us going. Now, he meant two things. One is the work I'm involved in is too big to just take a break. Amen. He said it's a huge work. We're talking about clearing 160 years of rubbish. He's talking about stacking and cementing massive stones, thousands and maybe millions of stone uh, 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 boulders back together, making them into walls and doorways and gates. Five kilometers of walls, 30 feet high and 25 feet thick. There was barely enough workers. There was just too much to do. So the, the work was, was massive. The work is, is too big to quit. Secondly, it's also written, he says, great. It's like an, it's a great work. It's an awesome work. It's a, um, uh, it's a marvelous thing, an impressive thing. And by the way, it's a noble thing that he was trying to do, rebuilding something. You know, it's easy. I've said it a dozen times. I'll say it two dozen more. It is easy to tear something down. It's much more noble to rebuild it. It is easy to look at your wife or your husband. It's easy to look at your parents and tear them down. It's another thing to go back and say, I'm sorry, we need to rebuild. Much more noble. You say, well, it takes a lot longer to rebuild, but that's the work we've got to be involved in. That's the place where God helps us because the work is great. It's noble. It's awesome. Rebuilding these walls was something they loved doing because those walls were, 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 were important to them. Jeremiah 31, go there. You're in Nehemiah. Go to the right. Find Jeremiah. I'll show you 
two scriptures that really struck out at me. Jeremiah 31. Now, this is a prophecy made 160 years earlier when Jeremiah was watching those, rump, those walls being destroyed. And God gave him a promise. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Now, we use this scripture uh, for uh, weddings and for Valentine's Day and all these things. We talk about love. Amen. Well, let me tell you about some love in here. It's like how I say love. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. <clears throat> the Lord hath appeared unto me. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, speaking to the people of Israel and to that city, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. They were watching their walls being destroyed. They were watching their, their lives fall apart. They were being taken away captive. And then the Lord says, you know what? Every day of your life I've been drawing you out of love, and I will not let this be the end. When you think that your life can't get any lower, believe me, the Lord is below you. He's holding you up. And he says, I'm, I'm allowing you to go this way, and I'm telling you this, one of these days you will be rebuilt. So they are part of a prophecy that God would help them rebuild this city, and it was important to them. And you've got to trust that whatever the devil seems to ruin in your life, God wants to help you rebuild. And he will help you. You just got to believe it. You just got to enjoy it. You got to believe that the work is great to be involved in. I'll take you to another one, Isaiah 60. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 60. Before Jeremiah comes Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 18. <clears throat> yeah. I like this. Isaiah 60. 6-0 and verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and all thy gates you're going to name praise. This is praise one, and that's praise door number two, and that's praise door. It's going to be great. They, they couldn't wait to rebuild their city. As God said, it could be done. Hey, folks, do you have anything like that? Do you have anything, something so different, so grandiose, so marvelous in your life that you just, you would, you would sacrifice your life for? I hope you got kids like that. Do you know what Jesus had? He had us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? You and me. Are you getting it? Do you have anything that is great enough for you to seek to accomplish? I know there's great things to accomplish in this world. I mean, they build incredible things, and they, they climb incredibly complicated and high mountains, and they do unbelievable things uh, that, that just humanly is impossible to even think that they can do it. And there they are. But you know, the greatest thing you can do Give your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody see it except Him. 
and you decide I will be a missionary. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to go and risk my, my career, my, uh, 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 my employment, and go up to my boss and tell him, I have been afraid to tell you, but I got to tell you, you got to be born again. I don't want my boss going to hell. Amen. <clears throat> you got to see it as that's the greatest thing you can do. That's what Nehemiah saw. <clears throat> All the people of the faith in the Bible, you know what they did? They suffered. They lost everything because they lived for something bigger and better. Abraham, it says, he went where he didn't know where he was going because he saw a city out there that God had promised, a city made without hands. You have anything like that? You know what keeps Bible-leaving Christians going on? Reality. <clears throat> Do you realize two-thirds of the population of Ireland knows nothing about God? They don't, they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not being arrogant, and I'm not looking down on anybody. I'm going to tell you, I was more stupid than a rock before I got saved. I had no idea. I didn't know if Noah and, and Moses were cousins. I had no idea. I just find that same ignorance everywhere I go. You know, that's a stark reality. I'll tell you what the other stark reality is. This generation, and evidently the previous generations, hate God. And they hate life. Stark reality of the culture that we live in is that people generally are drunkards and pornography addicts and wicked in their lifestyles. They have rejected the design of marriage. They reject integrity. They have no respect and honesty. They are lost and in need of the gospel. Amen. That's the stark reality. That's why the work we're in is massive and it's awesome. Because I've been there when somebody bowed the head and said, you're right, can I get saved right now? <laughs> it's great. It motivates me. It keeps me preaching. Keeps me going door knocking. Send ballot wanted Nehemiah and all his people to stop being so fanatical. Stop being so different. Just be like everybody else. Let's all get along. You know what? I love everybody. I would, I would, if somebody stops on the side of the road and they're broken down, I'll help anybody. We're not talking about hating anybody. But I don't want to be like everybody. You understand what I'm saying? I do not want to paint my hair. I do not want to cover my skin with tattoos. I don't want to pierce my body with all these piercings. I don't want to listen to the same kind of music. I don't want to drink the same kind of rot gut. I don't want to be like them. I want to be like him. And when the world and when other Christians say, why do you have to be so different? I say, because the work is great. The work is great. I cannot, stop it, I cannot just stop and step down and just find compromise. I've got something to do. And if I'm so different from you, well, so be it. Get busy doing the job. Get busy doing something for God. The stark reality of our culture demands that we keep building our church. We keep investing in people. We keep sending out missionaries. We keep going door knocking. We keep what we have, a bright light. Because if we listen to Sanballat, if we worry about RTE news, if we uh, are concerned about the newspapers and what everybody thinks, we will quit. We will. I just think what we get to do is awesome. I really do. Think about it. I get to preach 
this blessed old book that I hold in my hands. I want to sing. <laughs> it's true from beginning to end. Amen. I, I get to call men and women to prayer. That's a high calling. I get to challenge young and old to live godly and soberly in these last days. You find yourself drinking, you find yourself drugging, you find yourself doing all that, you've already quit. I enjoy teaching children and helping you teach children what is right and wrong from an absolute source. It doesn't change, folks. I enjoy being part of training the next generation of young people to become pastors and to preach and to lead their next generation. Nothing compares to the greatness of this work. I've done a lot of things. Some of you know me, some of you don't. But I've sat in universities. I've taken courses under some of the most intelligent professors, humanly speaking, studying astrophysics and astronomy. I've worked on the very backbone fiber optic technology that runs the entire worldwide network of telephones and mobile phones. I saw it start. I helped work on the technology that you pick up the phone and it works. I have been there. I sit and I think, that was awesome. I have also dug trenches and foundations, broken down old walls and helped build roofs. I have been married to the most amazing woman alive. We've had five great, gorgeous, fantastic, in, unbelievable, wonderful. I was trying to put in a funny word in there, but I couldn't. They're all awesome. Children. So far, I have six even more gorgeous grandchildren. All of those have been amazing. But this work, this task, is the greatest. I can't just sit at home and love my wife. can't just sit and play with my grandchildren, although I want to. I have to work. It's a great work. Do you understand what I'm saying? You tell me you want to keep working 8, 10, 12 hours a day just and breaking your back in and sweating your brow, coming home and every penny going to the government. Now more is going to go to pay for abortions. All of this, just so that you can keep the machine running. Is that how you want to live and die? So don't count on me quitting, man. Greatness of the work keeps me going. You say, is it hard? It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. <laughs> Nehemiah, I tell you, I've been up here 14 hours. But it's great. Now, the honor of our work, he goes on, go back there to Nehemiah, chapter 6 and verse 2, the honor of our work. Nehemiah, chapter 6 and verse 2, I read it already, but let me show you again. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come, which way? I like how he uses that phrase, I cannot come down. <clears throat> what Nehemiah and all of those people were busy doing was not just great, but it was honorable. There's nothing to be ashamed of. If he stopped his work, it would be a shame. It would be a step down. You say, what if somebody invited you to, and, and asked you to be Tisha, Brother Ledbetter? I'd say it would be a step down from being a pastor. What if somebody invited you to be the head of Google? I would say that would be a massive step down from being a pastor. Amen. This, this, the honor, what, don't ever let your, your disconnected family 
or your neighbors look at you as you pile into your car and all the kids screaming and fighting and mom fighting. Not really, no, but anyway. And everybody shoving them into the car and everybody getting into the car, Bibles in hand and singing Bible songs and going to church. And all your neighbors looking at you as though you got foreheads. Just wave and smile. And what we're doing is, is, folks, is honorable. Hey, we don't pick up swords. We don't riot. We don't throw uh, uh, cars over. If the no side had won yesterday, there would be riots in the streets. Yes or no? We don't do that. You know what we do? We get our hearts right. We go back to zero and we say, Lord, somehow we failed. Somehow we messed up. We take the blame. Amen. What we're doing, we're not ashamed of. <clears throat> Sanballat wanted Nehemiah to be embarrassed of doing such menial work. He was implying that leaders shouldn't get their hands so dirty. He shouldn't be seen among the common people. He shouldn't be working. He should be working on compromising and getting along with everybody, like us politicians that constantly flip based upon the people you're around. I heard about the politician in Louisiana. They had a they had a bill coming before, and the bill was was uh, to uh, outlaw the uh, the capture and uh, eating of squirrels. That's a desperate day. <laughs> but in, in Louisiana, they eat a lot of things, and so they're saying no more can't go capturing squirrels. And so they asked this politician, and says, um, "Where do you stand on that bill?" And he says, "I stand." Well, you know, he says he says some of my friends are for it, and some of my friends are against it. So the, so the uh, reporter says, well, where do you stand? He says, I stand with my friends. <laughs> yeah. Let me just tell you this. We don't. Which way is the wind blowing, Leo? Not this Leo, but Leo Varadkar. Oh, I think the wind's blowing. We can, we can, we can take abortion and bring it back in. We can rip it out of the Constitution. We can rip the life out of people's wombs. I think we can do it. We don't do that. I think Leo Varadkar brought the T-shirt, the level of the T-shirt, to the level of the gutter. I don't mean to make you mad, but I'm trying not to be. Honestly, what we're doing is we're trying to call people to where we honor life, we protect life. And those of us who are strong, we protect the weak. That's, that's human. Sanballat wanted Nehemiah to be embarrassed and to come down. You ever, you ever <laughs> there was one time our son jo Joel, he was about four or five years old, and we had bought some of these uh, vitamins that were multi-flavored. You're talking about the children's vitamins, you know? So that night was the first time that Joel got one of them cherry or strawberry things, and he went, wow! Got another... No, just one a day. Well, Nita and I, we go in another room, and you know when the house is quiet and you don't hear Joel, you know what you do? You go running. So Nita and I, and I looked at Nita, and I says, you, where's Joel? Said, I don't know. And I go in the kitchen. He had propped up two chairs on, oh, I'm sorry, two chairs on top of each other, on top of the table, and had climbed on top of the fridge and was reaching for those where we had put the, the vitamins and was reaching for them, and I came in the door. And he looked and smiled. And then he crawled down. <laughs> you know what Sam Ballard wanted to do? 
wanted to make Nehemiah feel like Joel. You should be ashamed of yourself, Nehemiah. I am not ashamed. He wanted to get Nehemiah to compromise and, and, and listen, just, just get along with us. Come on, let's work this thing out. You don't, you don't have to do this. We'll help you. We don't need the government help. We don't need the help of, of just, listen, I don't want everybody here. I want people who want to be here. Amen? I want a church where people want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, not worship me, and definitely not worship themselves. Amen? And yet, if you went, if you went where Sanballat and Tobiah and all these other guys were worshiping, they were worshiping gods, they knew not what. I don't want to go to that kind of church. Nehemiah thought hot, highly of what he was doing. And I hope you do. If you ever get the privilege of teaching a Sunday school lesson, if you ever get the privilege of, of helping out in crash, and I say that knowing it's a lot of work, but if you ever get the privilege of standing behind this pulpit and preaching for just five minutes, think highly of it. Realize how awesome it is. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. I honor what God called me to do. I think what I do is big. Acts 20, go back to the left, find Acts chapter 20 now. Acts 20, 23. Twenty twenty three, start in verse twenty two. Acts twenty, verse twenty two. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city, saying that, uh oh, bonds and afflictions are going to stick to me; they're going to abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life. So put in one hand his life. Put in that balance, that scale. He says, neither count I my life dear to myself so that I might finish my what? My course, my purpose of life. My life is not as important as my purpose. That I might finish my course with joy and the ministry. Ministry means servanthood. It means serving. He says, I count that as so much more important than my very life because I've received of the Lord Jesus and all it is is to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was never ashamed of the gospel. Wow. According to my earnest expectation, Paul says, and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Nehemiah and Paul, and I hope every Christian in this room decides that the honor of our work, what we do on a Sunday, may look like nutso. But it's great. It's honorable. Now the people, i got to wrap it up. Go back to Nehemiah. Let me just give you the points real quick. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Here's a great truth. The people were important. That kept him going. Verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? 
while I live and come down to you. And when he says the work, he means the work of all the other people. He's the example. He's the leader. If he steps down from that ladder, if he stops putting those blocks of stone in place, if he stops putting the cement down, and he goes down and he goes off on a little holiday, and he, he takes that break and he steps, guess what everybody else is going to do? They're going to step down too and go, oh, I guess. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. Nothing wrong with coming away for a while. As they say in, in uh, Mark chapter 6, it says, Jesus said, come apart. And then in the, in the Brits, he says, before you come apart. <laughs> so he took them and he gave them some rest. But boy, when you met Jesus, you know what he was doing? Every day, all day, he was feeding and helping and teaching and touching and loving and caring and ministering. His disciples says, Lord, can we stop? And he says, nope. <laughs> wow. And the truth is this. Why was Jesus doing that to people? The people queued up. Look, there were times when he had 20,000 people surrounding him. Why were they there? Because they felt important around him. Are you with me? You know, when you come to this church, I hope you feel important, not just to me, but to God. I mean, we want to let you know that this is about people. We meet, we, we meet here. If you knew us 14 years ago where we used to meet, <laughs> some of you know about our old preaching shed over in Blarney. I loved it. It was great, but it was freezing. We had four heaters running all the time trying to get the chill out, and we still chilled. Let me tell you this. We loved it because it's not about the building. It's about the people, and the people keep us going. And if you haven't got, if you haven't gotten it yet, Sunday has a buzz because people are here, and people are being ministered to, and children are being taught and loved and, and, and guided, and teenagers are being whipped and beaten. No, sorry. <laughs> Some of you parents almost said amen. No. Um, folks, what we have is, is people. And when we miss that, and we start when it's the entertainment. And we start, oh, it's, it's the personality of the preacher. I just love his preaching. Oh, the music it just gives me chills. We've lost the plot then. Are you with me? The people... The very people that Nehemiah was trying to help would stop working if he quit. Let me make this statement. I'm trying to quit. Do you ever imagine what would happen if you quit on God? Does anyone look up to you and try to be like you? I bet there are a few. I bet there are some people who watch you at work, who mock you at school, who listen to you from a distance, and they need you to stay faithful. And if you decided you got mad at this preacher, or you got mad at Leo, or you got mad at Bill, which is easy, if you, got, if you just said, I'm not going back to that church, all those people who are watching you and wondering if anything would ever, ever crack you or break you, and they see you fall and quit, you'll lose them. The work stops. Just, just coming to church sometimes, just staying faithful in the Bible, just still praying for people even though they hate you. You know what they know? They know you're praying. And the moment that you quit, they'll go, see, I told you you were nothing. See, I told you it would, it would, you would quit. Don't let them say that. The work we do is the people. They keep us going. They're our reason for being a church. Because, listen, every great sinner can become a great Christian. <laughs> Did you know where great Christians come from? Great sinners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the people. I'm just going to 
the thing that I'm just going to mention, send ballots, sends letter after letter, sends messenger after messenger. You know what? You know what? Uh, Nehemiah kept doing? Give them the same answer. Your family should get the same answer. It's Jesus. Oh, but you know, my priest, it's Jesus. Oh, but my church, it's Jesus. Oh, but you know, you need, you need to, to get better music. You need to get newer Bibles. No, it's Jesus. Be consistent. Folks, I don't, you know, Pastor, how do you find messages? They're all in there. I only have to preach one book. Can you imagine? You know what a Catholic has to learn? If you're going to be a good Catholic, it's 135 volumes. Anti-Nicene, post-Nicene fathers, uh, the, um, um, uh, the, the canon law series, all that stuff. I just have one. And it's a whole lot better reading than anything I ever read that was written by anti-Nicene fathers. Consistency. I just stay with one book. You say, why don't you get a new Bible? I'll stay with the old one. Why don't you get some new hymns? I'll stay with the old ones. I don't mind music. I don't mind people writing new stuff. But boy, it's got to match the old stuff. Consistently. Everything's constantly changing, but guess what? The work is the same. And it makes, hey, that makes it easy. You say it's boring. It is not boring. <laughs> Sometimes I enjoy a good boring day. Do you know what we need here in Ireland? Do you know what we need? I got to find out what we need. Just a second. <laughs> We need some people. <laughs> we need a lot of people who just want to be consistent. Who don't care if almost every other church has a drum set and a worship team with swinging girls leading praise. We don't care if all the other teenagers are out drinking and fornicating. We don't care if the popular thing to do is X, Y, and Z. We just want to be consistent. I'd like you to pick up a message I preached uh, 24 years ago and listen to me preach and hear me preach now and say, it's the same message. He's got a little better, but it's the same message. Amen. We need some consistency. People who want to be consistent and just give the same answer over and over and over. The answer is in the book. The answer is found in a living Savior named Jesus Christ. The fact that the devil won't leave us alone ought to encourage us. Amen. I'm just going to, he keeps coming at me. I'm going to, I must be doing something right because he wants me to stop. Desperate dependency upon God. This is probably the most important part, but I'll have to deal with it another day. Sanballat then comes to him and, and actually makes an accusation against it. If you notice there, he says, uh, we found out that you're trying to commit treason. And he accuses Nehemiah of treason and sedition, trying to set up a kingdom, trying to turn in rebellion against King Artaxerxes. And that threat alone terrified the people. Because how do you disprove it? And folks, let me tell you this, all you need is one accusation. You don't have to do anything wrong, you just need somebody saying you did wrong, and it could ruin your life for years. Are you with me? You know what Nehemiah did? He begged God for help. But he didn't just do it then, when it got dark and thick and, and threatening. He'd been doing it all along. The most important thing you can do, ladies and gentlemen, to be able to finish the work, is walk with Jesus Christ in prayer every day in your Bible. Well, I can't read 25 chapters. Don't even try to read 25 chapters. Read two. If you can't read two, read one. But don't go a day without the Bible. <clears throat> I mean, just quickly keep our goal in sight. Look at verse 15. I'm done. Nehemiah. I am done. You just don't believe me. Nehemiah chapter 6, 
Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15. You know, it'll encourage you to keep doing right, spending time with your family, rebuilding things, keep working with your kids, keep growing and keep soul winning, keep everything, keep building. You know what it'll do? It Having the goal in sight. Verse 15, Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was what? That's a good word. I like when things are finished. Like my message, right? Some of you just woke up. Huh? Well, are we done? <laughs> so the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month, in 50 and 2 days, which was a monumental task. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Hey, realize there is an end to the work. And Hebrews chapter uh, 13 says, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says, there is a rest waiting for the people of God. There's coming a day where we do more, more, no more work, amen? See, I'm not just living a good life now. There's eternal life. There's a home in heaven. Uh, when I fall asleep in death here, I wake up and never die. And that'll be a, that'll be a time of, of reality like I've never known before. And having that goal in sight, you know what the Bible says? Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep listening for a shout to go home. Don't worry about all the troubles and trials and hurricanes and, and economies. Have the goal in sight. You know what the goal is? To stand before Jesus and then fall at his feet and say, I'm here. You know, that kept him and all those worn out, tired, discouraged, fearful co-laborers and all those workers and builders. Having that goal, knowing that we can finish this work, and they got closer and closer. It kept them working until it was finished. Got a problem in the home, the marriage, got a problem in the health. I, I don't care if doctors give up on you or whatever, folks. Got to have the goal. You're going to run one day. You're going to dance one day. You're going to fly one day when you get that new body. You're going to have to have some goals. You say, Lord, just give me the desires of my heart. My, my desire is that things would go right in this area and that area, and just believe it. Having that, and watching it come to pass, having a person you say, I'm going to keep witnessing to and praying for and going after till they get saved, that'll discourage the devil. Let him be discouraged for once instead of you and me. What's Christians like today? Kind of discouraged. Well, Jesus taught us to keep going, but we need some things to keep us going. Because our enemy, the devil, is set on hindering, slowing, halting, and collapsing us in our efforts as we follow the Lord Jesus. And we seek to live like he wants us to. How do you keep going? I gave you six or seven things. One, our work will keep us going. The, the, the stuff we got to do. Why should you be here on a Sunday morning to help? Say, well, I came here to sit. Amen. But at some point, get up and serve. At some point, volunteer. I need two puppeteers to help with the puppet skit for anniversary Sunday. I need some people to volunteer and say, I'd like to give my testimony of just how God has helped me and, and saved me as I came and I heard the gospel here. I need people sometimes to help out down in the office or whatever. Don't just sit there. The greatness of our work ought to motivate you to just keep going. The honor of our work. The people keep us going. Just consistency. I mean... 
I, I can't ask for any better. God can't do any better, by the way. His will is perfect, even when it stinks. <laughs> Consistently, just stay the course. Our desperate dependency upon God in the midst of enemies who can ruin us. Keeping our goal in sight. That'll keep us going. A runner knows there's a finish line. Amen? No runner goes, well, I wonder where I'm going today. <laughs> that would be lame. Here's your invitation. We've got a lot of work to do as Christians. A lot. There are a lot of people who need the gospel. There are a lot of people here in Balancholic. I've knocked on doors a dozen times. I meet people who are new all the time. I haven't hit everybody. We need to build this church. We need to build the next generation. I look at our kids, our teens, and I look at our young people, I go, they need a lot of work. We need to start more churches. We need to see lots of people saved from the bondage and damnation of sin. But you cannot even begin to work until you've been born again by the Spirit of God. Some of you are just religious, and you've never been converted. I'm asking you if your faith is in the church, in your own goodness, in yourself, or is it completely resting in Jesus Christ? I invite you to admit that you're lost without hope and without God. And then cry out to God with all your heart. And ask for the free gift of eternal life that Jesus purchased just for you. It's that simple. As we bow our heads, Father, I tried my best this morning. I don't know if it's ever enough. I, I wish I could crack open some hard heads. But I know I can't. Then again, I know you can. I pray that you do today. That this morning in our, in our minds and our hearts, there would be an awareness of just whatever's going on outside and however the world changes outside does not matter. When the world destroys, we're going to get busy rebuilding. When they trash marriage, we're going to step in and rebuild it. When they destroy children and lives and minds and hearts with sin, we're going to help them get cleaned up in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the faith that's willing to follow Him. Thank you for the cleansing power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we get this morning to look not at a history lesson, but at a, a battle cry. Stay in the work and never come down. In Jesus' name, amen.